The world can be a risky place, and uh, sometimes that's because of the choices we make. Sometimes it, we, we uh, get into more risk because of the kinds of activities that we're involved in. If, you're, if your favorite hobby is hang gliding or skydiving or base jumping, you're going to find it difficult to buy stuff like life insurance. They're going to frown on those activities because they're just sort of inherently risky. Some of us are involved in jobs that, that require us to take on more risk. Uh, some of us are of an age where when we grew up and our childhood was filled with way more risk, we accepted way more risk when we were kids than we allow our kids to accept today. You know, I, I learned to ride a bicycle when I was five years old. In my entire childhood, I rode a bicycle without a bicycle helmet, you know, and Somehow I made it. I was a risk taker. That's all I can say. You know, I lived on the edge, right? I rode the bicycle, no helmet. I wouldn't advise this, but when I was a little kid, sometimes I rode in the front seat of the car with no seat belt other than this, right? That was the entire safety mechanism in the vehicle. You know, we just accepted more risk than well, maybe we do today. My, the playgrounds that I played on were filled with these dangerous devices like teeter-totters and merry-go-rounds, and it was just a risky world that uh, we lived in. In fact, in my home, there were all kinds of risky household appliances, and maybe one of the most risky household appliances that we had was one of these. It was a telephone. Now, this is, this is more fancy than the telephone that was in our home, but it was a risky household device. The phone would ring. Kids, the phone would make a noise that alerted you to the fact that somebody wanted to talk to you on the phone. And you had to choose, will I answer the phone or not? Because there was no other way to determine who was on the other end of the line? You had no idea until you picked up the receiver and you said, hello. Who was speaking? It could have been the teacher from school. It could have been the police. It could have been whatever. You had no idea who was calling. There was a certain amount of risk in just picking up the telephone line. If you were expecting an important call and you lived with other people in your household, there was a certain element of risk in, involved that nobody else would be on the phone when you were expecting the phone call. Because if your older brother was on the phone for like way too long talking to his girlfriend with the cord stretched down the hallway trying to get some privacy, there was no way to know whether another phone call was trying to come into the house. There was just a certain element of risk involved in using this uh, risky device that we called telephone. I, I remember the first time that I invited a girl on a date in high school via the telephone. I picked up the, the phone receiver and I dialed a phone number. That's right. Anybody under 40, you've got to go ask somebody probably what a rotary dial phone is, but that's what we had in our house. So I dialed the phone number, right? And before it could ring, I hung up like 19 times. You had, to, you had to make sure, because if you let it ring and you hung up like 19 times, about number well, three, probably, but in my mind, like seven, you, it started to be kind of creepy, right? So you had to be quick. You'd hang up before it rang at all, and there was just a certain element of risk. And certainly, if you were asking somebody on a, a date as a teenage, you know, as anybody, right, there's an element of risk involved there. Maybe, maybe we just grew up when we were willing to take more risk. I don't know. 
And I, I don't suppose that we often think of Christmas as a, an especially risky event. I don't suppose that when we think about the Christmas season, we associate it with risk. But when you consider the very first Christmas, man, those days, those months, were filled with nothing but risk for everyone involved. For Mary, her, her life became really risky. How would people react? What would happen? Where would they go? For Joseph, his life was filled with risk. What would, what would family members think? What would the community think? Would he be able to earn a living? Would he be shamed beyond to the point of exclusion from the community? There was just risk involved. There's risk involved for a, a God who enters the world as an infant, as a baby. There's only risk involved in that very first Christmas. And so as we start to unpack the gifts that we really need this Christmas, it might sound odd to consider that perhaps one of the gifts that we really need is a little more risk. When we think about the life of Mary and her willingness to serve God and others in such a risky way, man, it sure inspires me to live a life that's filled with a little bit more uh, of a risk-taking service to others. And we can be risk-taking servants to, to God and others this Christmas season. I think that there are three steps that are taught in the story of, of the birth announcement of Jesus to Mary in, in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38, that will help us to, to be a, a, a bigger risk-taking servant uh, for Jesus this Christmas. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to open them up to uh, the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. In your New Testament, that's just Matthew, Mark, Luke, the third gospel in the New Testament, the very first chapter of the book of Luke. We're going to be dealing with verses 26 to 38 this morning and the three steps that it teaches to uh, help us to be a, a, a risk-taking servant for God this Christmas. Luke chapter 1, with beginning with verse 26, this is what God's word says. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at these, at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you're to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. 
Uh, three steps that I think are taught here to uh, help us to be a risk-taking servant for God uh, this Christmas season. The first step is to realize you found favor with God. You found favor with God. In the sixth month, verse 26 says, of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. In the sixth month, we sort of jump into the story. Luke gives us the time frame, the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. And it, it just sort of reminds us as we begin uh, this conversation this morning that some amazing things have already happened to uh, introduce this first Christmas idea. The, the very, some amazing things that happened, you know, this guy by the name of Zechariah, who was a priest, and his wife, wife Elizabeth were sort of grandparent type of aged folks, all right? But they didn't have any kids, and so obviously they weren't grandparents. They were just beyond those years of expecting that they would have a child of their own. And so as Zechariah was serving in the temple, and an angel, the same angel that shows up to talk to Mary, shows up to talk to him and says, your wife is going to have a, a child. He laughs at her. He can't believe it. And uh, it, But now we're in the sixth month, and Elizabeth, his wife, is absolutely pregnant. And Zechariah is absolutely still not saying a word about it. And so everything that the angel said would happen has happened. Some amazing stuff has already occurred. And now even more amazing promises are going to be made. The angel shows up again, this time to talk to Mary, but in a different location. He it doesn't show up to talk to a priest in the temple in Jerusalem. Instead, he shows up to talk to a teenage girl in a tiny little village called Nazareth, and he begins to lay out God's plan for Mary and her life and, and to see and to gauge her willingness to serve in this way in the six months of Elizabeth. Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. To a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. This gives us a little bit of background about Mary, all right? This word, uh, a virgin, can carry two uh, connotations in the New Testament, and it can mean two different things. The first, it can mean simply a young woman of marryable age, all right? And so Mary was certainly fit that classification, probably around 15 years old, about the time young women were married in the first century. That's sort of how, uh, in the Jewish world, that's sort of how it rolled. And so Mary fit that classification. A virgin, uh, somebody who hadn't been married, who had not had sex yet, that fits Mary's uh, classification as well. And so we learn a couple things about Mary. We also learn that she's pledged to be married to Joseph, which basically it simply means that she's legally married to this guy by the name of Joseph, but they're living in separate households. All right, so Mary's living in her father's house. Joseph is probably living in his father's household, although he might have uh, started a, a house of his own. He's preparing for that uh, marriage ceremony, the wedding ceremony, and beginning a life together with Mary. The contract has been struck, all right? They've negotiated the terms. The dowry has been agreed on. They are legally married, living in separate households. If you want to think of it sort of in today's terms, I suppose if you've got, I've got 
three kids. Two of them are in high school. One's in middle school. So we are thinking about, hey, it, it's time to start considering where you might want to go to college, what might you want to do after high school. And, and so students in today's world, maybe they, they map out, you know, this is, my, this is the school I really want to go to. This is a school that maybe I'll go to. This is another school. Maybe I'll pursue this technical degree or I'll join the military. And they start to map out sort of their, their next step in adulthood right? And we encourage this as, as parents. We want to have a plan. We want to know what that next step is. We want to know where, where they're going. And Mary is in that spot where her life is sort of mapped out. It's clicking along just like she would expect it to be. She's pledged to be married. She's committed. She's legally married to this man named Joseph. They're preparing to begin this new life together to, to eventually begin a family together. Everything is sort of mapped out just the way Mary would, would have planned it. She's, she's already been accepted, if you want to think of, the, of, of it in these terms, to her goal school, right? She's, she's accepted to the college she wants to go to. She's committed to, to, this, uh, to the military or whatever the deal is, whatever plans that students in our world might make, Mary has made those plans. Her family has set her up for that success, and life is just clicking along when, all, when this angel shows up. In verse 28, it begins to get really interesting. The angel went to her and said, Greetings you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. This word greetings, and in some of your translations, it, it's, a, it's a Greek word that can be translated as rejoice. And so some of your translations begin in verse 28 with that word rejoice. It's an interesting word choice, and I think an appropriate one, because when God invites us into service, our response should be to rejoice. When God invites us to be a part of his plan, when God invites us to be a part of his team, to be a part of his family, we ought to rejoice. We ought to, we, we ought to remember all that God has done for us and remember the many reasons we have to be grateful and thankful. And the only appropriate response when, when God invites his followers to serve him is to rejoice, is to celebrate. You know, I think about the responses sometimes I receive at home. You know, maybe, you know, we have kids. And, and uh, if you have kids, I'm sure you've never uh, experienced this. But once in a while, we'll say something simple like, hey, uh, I, I need you to take the trash from the kitchen to the garage. Will you do that, please? And, and sometimes it's met with enthusiasm. Other times it's met with, seriously? All the way from the kitchen to the garage? Like right now? At this moment? And I think, man, I'm a pretty good guy. I think, you know, I, I've provided a home for them to live in. They are sheltered. They have clothes to wear out in public. That's a good thing for everybody. They have food to eat. You know, they, they can, uh, are nourished and cared for in that way. And, and surely a more appropriate response would be, yes, Dad, I'd be glad to serve you in this way. Right? I think I'm a pretty good guy. It should be met with some rejoicing. And you go on in verse 28, and it, it, it's really interesting. Rejoice, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. 
I don't mean to, to pick on my kids because I'm the same way. You know, I, I serve occasionally at the uh, homeless shelter that we support, the, the shelter of Hope and Leavenworth, and, and I often do one of the overnight shifts. I, I kind of wait and see when, when those shifts aren't, aren't filled, then I will often take one of those overnight shifts. And there are times when I think, man, and lately, I, hey, I need to say thanks because I haven't worked one of those shifts in quite a while, and so you guys are doing a great job, and we appreciate your service there. Thank you so much for that. And uh, so sometimes when I see that empty slot on the sign-up schedule, you know, I think, oh, good, now is my chance to go serve, and I'm looking forward to this. They're, you know, it's overnight, and so people will be sleeping. I can get this other stuff. It will work out just great. There are other times when I look at that empty slot, and I think, oh, I have to go work at the shelter. Man, I'm tired. You know what I'm going to be tomorrow? even more tired, you know, and I, and I have that same response when, when I should see that empty slot and think, man, you are so highly favored by God. You know, is that always our first reaction? Got three kids, my middle daughter, Lacey, she, she often tells the other two, her brother and sister, that she's my favorite. She's quick with that, you know, I'm dad's favorite. And uh, so I just can't wait till the next time when, when, when uh, you know, I say, Lacey, will you take the trash from the kitchen to the garage? Uh, her only response will be to rejoice because it's, it's a clear indication of how highly favored she is, right? But when you think about it, when God invites you, when the creator of the universe, when the creator of the universe invites you into his family, invites you into his service. And there's no other response than to rejoice. There's no other response that's appropriate than to consider that as him viewing us in, in such an amazing way, favoring us so highly. The Lord is with you, the angel promises. That phrase in the Old Testament was often attached to some of the real heavyweights in the Old Testament. You know, the, the Abraham, Isaacs, and Jacobs. When, when God said, I want you to move, I want you to go there, that phrase often followed, don't worry because the Lord will be with you. And so when God put people into motion in his redemptive plan, we often read that, read that phrase, the Lord is with you. And this is certainly a part of God's redemptive plan. And it makes absolute sense that that same phrase would be uttered would be voiced by the angel god is with you do not be afraid the lord is with you mary though responds in much the same way that most of us would in verse 29 mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be that word wondered is a greek word that could be translated as audit it was a financial term even in the ancient world and it meant to take an account to sort of lay out the plans and you, you can read that and just see the, the wheels revolving in Mary's mind as she tries to figure out why this is and why did the angel show up here? Is he sure he has the right address? Uh, is this really what God wants to do in my life? Why would he be choosing me? But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. Do not be afraid. I, I think when I read that phrase, do not be afraid, I, I suppose it really ought to read, don't be too afraid, Mary. Don't be too afraid to ask the questions that you, you have and the, the, the worries that you have. Don't be too afraid to weigh the cost, Mary. Don't be too afraid. Don't be too afraid 
to go ahead and obey even though the risks are great. Don't be too afraid to go ahead and take that first step in obedience even though it'll be scary, even though it'll be difficult, even though you won't have all the answers because you are highly favored by God. Uh, when we read those words and you know, so much is made throughout church history and all kinds of different kind of church backgrounds, some more than others, make a huge deal of Mary, and we, we probably ought to. We ought, we, ought to, we ought to say Mary is such a tremendous servant of God. In fact, there, you know, the, the end of the story in verse 38, when she says, just let it be as you've said. I'm the Lord's servant. I don't think there's a more powerful statement by a follower of God in Scripture. And that, I want that to be the statement of my life. I'm the Lord's servant. Let it be as you've said. Right? What a tremendous statement. So we think, well, Mary, you know, of course Mary would say that. Mary is highly favored by God. But our first step is to understand that you are highly favored by God. As any follower of Jesus is so highly favored by God, you found favor with God. One author, Tim Keller, said it like this, I would argue that despite the unique features of Mary's situation, we should all be amazed that we are Christians, that the great God is working in us. Every Christian is like Mary. Everyone who puts faith in Christ receives by the Holy Spirit, Christ in you, the hope of glory, from Colossians 1.27. And so no Christian should ever be far from this astonishment that I, I of all people, should be loved and embraced by his grace. God has made a way for each one of us to be forgiven. That's the story of Christmas. God puts skin on. He enters this world. He's born as an infant. He grows and, and eventually teaches and serves and heals, dying on a cross, paying a price that every one of us owes and can't afford to pay, being buried in a grave, but his story doesn't end there, that he raises on that third day, winning a victory over death that we can all experience and that, that same kind of victory because God loves us in that big, big way. There can be no doubt that every one of us has found favor with God. When you realize that you found favor with God, then just like Mary, we can move into service to him. We can, we can acknowledge that, that he's invited us on into his family and we, can, we should re rejoice and we could be, should begin to serve him more. And when we do that, we have to allow God to do the heavy lifting. That's step number two, to allow God to do the heavy lifting. Look at verses uh, 31 to uh, 37 here. You will conceive and give birth to a son, you're to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. What amazing few verses there. Uh, look at verse 31. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. Mary was invited into service in this really profound and significant way, but she was invited into service where God was promising to do the heavy lifting. I'm, I'm about to get myself into really serious trouble because I have no business saying what I'm about to say, all right? 
I'm quite obviously a 43-year-old male who has never been pregnant. But what Mary was asked to do was something that she'd seen done before, right? She'd most probably seen her mother pregnant. Most probably, there was the girl who was a few years ahead of her in high school sort of idea that grew up down the road, who was just a few years ahead of where Mary was, committed to be married. The young girl down the road was already married, moved into her husband's house, perhaps pregnant. Mary had seen this done. In other words, I have no idea what it's like to be pregnant. God bless you, all that stuff, right? But it's other people have done it. Mary would hear that. In fact, that was part of the plan, right? Mary was going to be married to Joseph. She was going to move in with Joseph. They were going to start a family. That was part of the plan. Now, there's sort of an, this interjection, this sort of hurdle that's put in that, that plan and what she thinks is the right plan and the obvious plan. But Mary was asked to do something that's an everyday kind of ordinary and extraordinary all at once sort of event in somebody's life. God promised to move in and do the heavy lifting. Mary, you're going to conceive and give birth to a son, and you're going to name him Jesus. Look at the heavy lifting that God promises to do. He'll be great, and he'll be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. That's a heavy description of this son that Mary has promised to have. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Son of the Most High is a phrase in the Old Testament that's an exalted uh, title for God. In fact, the only two places that this title is used to describe Jesus in the New Testament is here by the angel Gabriel and then by a collection of a thousand demons that possess this guy that, that Jesus encounters in, in the Gospel of Mark chapter 5. These are the only two places in the Gospels where this title is used to describe Jesus. And I, I can't make too much of this, but it seems to indicate to me that, man, maybe us humans, we don't have this figured out yet. This is sort of a, this is a spiritual realm kind of idea that God is going to enter the world as a baby, that this baby will grow up to be a man and the entire time he is God and man, all in one, son of the most high. He'll reign in David's kingdom forever and ever and ever over, the, over Jacob's descendants forever. And his kingdom will never end. That phrase, Jacob's descendants, who is that? That's all of God's people, right? That's all of the Jewish world. That's all of Israel. That's all of God's family. So Mary, in verse 34, asks an entirely reasonable question, isn't it? Doesn't she? How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? She said, I've got a pretty good idea how this works, and, and I haven't done anything to make this work, so how is this going to happen? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. 
The angel responds that God is going to take care of it. The Holy Spirit will come on you. When you read that phrase in the Old Testament, it, it talks about a power that people have to do something that God calls them to do. It's not talking about physical contact between God and the human. It's, a, it's the power given to those people through the Holy Spirit to accomplish the task. In other words, what we're reading here is different from other ancient sort of myths that talk about the gods uh, intermingling and, and marrying with, with humans and, and the offspring being born. This is, a, this is a different kind of deal. God promises, though, to, to handle th- that and, and uh, that uh, the Holy Spirit would, would come over Mary. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. Allow God to do the heavy lifting this Christmas season. I'm not sure where you're at as you, as you enter into your celebration of Christmas this year. If, if you're in a place in, in maybe your marriage where you've been struggling, I, I, I just encourage you to hold on, to ask for help, to remember that nothing is impossible with God. Maybe you're in a place where you're looking at this, this Christmas season and you've got the wish list from the kids and you're thinking of everything that, that needs to be done at, and, at, at the house and the, the presents that should be bought and you're wondering how you're going to do that. And on, on top of that, maybe you signed up a few weeks ago with this 90-day uh, tithe challenge here at Wallula and you're kind of weighing all that stuff and you're wondering how in the world do we make this work, how the budget number is going to end up in the end. I would ask you to hold on. To stay committed, to to put God first, to remember that nothing is impossible with God. Maybe uh, at Thanksgiving there was this blow up. You had an argument with somebody uh, in your family at Thanksgiving and you're not sure how you're going to face them in a couple weeks at the next family gathering. You're not sure what to do. I I would encourage you, start praying now. Right? Reach out to them, talk to them. Remember, nothing is impossible with God. Allow God to do the heavy lifting uh, this Christmas in your lives. Step number three is simply to be willing. Look at verse 38. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And that's a powerful statement. That's amazing. You know, it it truly just, it amazes me. Because consider how Mary's situation has changed from the beginning in verse 26 to the end in verse 38. When she's confused and wondering, when she's making that audit of all the reasons or what was going to happen or how it's going to be, when she asks the angel, how is this going to occur, what's changed? Well, not much. When you consider the change in risk from verse 26 to verse 38, none of the risk has gone away. None of the risk has been mitigated. When she heard this, that, hey, you're going to have a child, and, and uh, you're not married, you're not living with Joseph yet, and she's thinking, what in the world is mom going to think? What in the world are the neighbors going to say? When she's considering, what in the world is Joseph going to do? None of that risk has been taken away. She's still dealing... She's still dealing with all of that. When you think about the answers that she's received, the knowledge that she's been given from verse 26 to verse 38, 
He's really not in a better situation. Can you imagine? Hey, you're going to have this baby. God, how's that? I'm not living with my husband. How is that going to happen? Don't worry, I'll handle it. That's essentially the answer that God gives to Mary. She doesn't have many more answers. She doesn't have much more knowledge than she had at the beginning of the story. Really, the only thing that changed in her situation from verse 26 to verse 38 is the amount of responsibility she'll have to deal with. Right? She's about to be a mother. You know, man, that's a ton of responsibility, not to mention when she hears the description of who her son will be. That has to be sort of a heavy kind of responsibility to carry. And it's in the middle of all of that that Mary responds to the angel, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. This Christmas, man, we, we want just to be willing to take a risk and to serve God and to serve others. I mean, there's another time in my life when I picked up one of those phones and I called somebody and uh, I had to move to Yuma, Arizona from after graduating college and had been living there a while and, and uh, Sherry and I were dating, I guess. We were thousands of miles apart and so we were considering this idea of getting married, and I'm not sure why, you know, Sherry would con- have considered that, but she did, right? And so that was a bonus. And so we were talking about that, and, and I thought, you know, maybe we ought to live closer together for a while before we decide if this is, the, if this is what we really want to do. And so I, I asked Sherry, why don't you move from Kansas to Yuma? And I look back at that idea, and I think, that was a stupid thing to ask somebody to do. I mean, how crazy was that? Hey, why don't you move from Kansas where you have some place to live, you have a job, you're going to school, you have a life, to Yuma, Arizona, where you don't have a job, you don't have any place to live, you don't have a school to go to, you don't have any life, but I'll be there. That's not much of a selling point. And that's the offer I had. That's the offer I had. Hey, would you consider doing this? What do you think? You're going to have to ask Sherry why she said, okay, that sounds like an idea. Why she accepted the risk? Other than to say, and, and I know this paints me in way too flattering of a picture, right? Other than to say that sometimes there are relationships that are worth it. This Christmas, when you're faced with that risk, of taking that first step and, and giving your best Christmas gift to the Walk to the Manger offering, when you're, when you're faced with that risk of, of serving that family member that just drove you crazy at Thanksgiving and you, you can't believe that you're going to talk to them again, when you're faced with the risk of holding on and seeking help in the marriage that you're in the middle of just a huge struggle in, understand that there are relationships that are worth it. And when we think about Christmas and the introduction of this relationship, this, this offer that God makes to be reunited with him, man, that relationship is worth taking a risk for him this Christmas. Let's stand and worship him.